Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Fox and the Foxhound. And if you're a longtime Foxy, welcome back. We are Amanda and Kevin Wilson, married people, parents to baby Paris, and we can now say both confirmed Potterheads. Three years ago, we started this podcast as I embarked on reading the series for the first time. To hear his impressions, both of the series and literal impressions along the way, be sure to listen to seasons one through seven. Season eight marks a new beginning for us as we branch out beyond the original seven books. Each week, we will be tackling something new within the Potterverse, character deep dives, themes, and how they present through the series, unlicensed productions, and so much more. If there's something you'd like us to discuss, we will let you know how to reach out to us later in the episode. If you'd like to support the Fox and the Foxhound, we will tell you all about that too. Thanks for being here. Let's get to it. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishing for seven gold pie. <laughs> I don't know what Draco has to do with any of this, but always nice to hear unhinged, psychotic Draco make a visit to the studio. By studio, we mean living room. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. We are deep diving the silver trio. Yes, which if you do not know, that is McGonagall. Nope. Hagrid. Nope. And Forenzi. No, but I mean, hey, what a trio. It is Luna, Ginny, and Neville fucking Longbottom. That's right. So that's going to be fun. But first, top of the show announcements next week, we are diving right back into the Barnes & Noble list and doing number four. Nice. Which, as I mentioned last week, is book one, chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Love it. So that's going to be really good. And also, I just wanted to give a rough kind of overview. We have five more episodes this season after this week. So we're going to do number four on the Barnes & Noble list. Then we're going to cover something else we haven't decided yet. Then our last three episodes of this season will be the top three chapters from the Barnes & Noble list back to back. And we have two patron-only, super secret, top secret, Mm -hmm. off-the-cuff Mm-hmm episodes dropping tuesday night and they are going to be one stuff we like our favorite things yes two is going to be our favorite conspiracy theories. our favorite conspiracy theories yes my conspiracy theory is that you forgot what the topic was that we were recording on tuesday. who knows if it's true or not <laughs> yeah so that's going to be exciting but we have a listener mailbag like to do we receive things in the mail Mm -hmm. i can't tell you how happy it makes us to receive things in the mail like 
We received so many sweet things when Paris was born. Oh, yeah. My we God. get fan art in the mail sometimes. Even just a sweet email or a message like sends us into an emotional state for the rest we of the day. We usually cry every because time. Because we generally think that we suck and nobody listens to our podcast. <laughs> and everybody hates us. <laughs> but our, our young listener, Sam, mm. reached out and asked if... We don't know Sam's gender, so we're just going to say they. Yeah. But... um. And asked if they could send us some fan art. Yeah. And so we said, sure. Yeah. And we got this beautiful letter, which Sam did give us permission to read on the podcast. Yes. Yes. And two pieces of fan art. One is a fox and oh. a hound. Oh, my God. Facing each other like a profile picture. Yeah. With our podcast symbol in the middle. If I showed this to any one of our listeners and said, how old do you think the person is that drew this? They would be like, I don't know, 26? Yeah, exactly. really, really stunning pencil art. Really, really good. And then another one is a, I'm almost going to cry, Sam, is like a beautiful, accurate portrait of our daughter. Oh my God. It's just, it's, I can't, I can't even talk about it. It's really like a next level of talent for sure, but also just the, the love and the sentiment and the care, you know, that this person with this gift decided to like channel this gift for us. I like, know. Oh. I was thinking of how much time yeah. Sam must have put into these. Oh I know. Goodness. I can't. I anyway, can't. thank you so much, Sam. Thank We're going to you, read Sam. your letter now, but yes. thank you so much. And thank you to your parents for letting you listen to the podcast. Yes. We don't always have the best kid-friendly language. Right. We're going to work on it. Just for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't make any promises on my- I'm going to work on my Okay. End. Yeah. Let's just uh, keep it to speaking to for yourself. Okay. So here is Sam's letter. Hi, it's Sam. I'm so sorry this came so late. I live in Michigan, but my first drawing of Paris failed, so I redid it. I was so excited that I cried when I heard my name on the podcast. You guys are the best. I do have two questions for the podcast. One, has Kev ever watched the movie Edge of Tomorrow? Because it's my favorite movie. And two, what is the most stupid argument you've ever had? And what was it about? Hope you feel better, Kev. Go Ravenclaw. I'm a Ravenclaw. Love your biggest fan, Sam. And then, of course, as you mentioned, P.S., you can read this on the show and also mention my age if you want to. Okay. Let's let's answer. It's the least we can do is answer these questions. So question one, Edge of Tomorrow. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. But Mm -hmm. as soon as I got this, because I had Sam send it to my work. Mm -hmm. And when I came into work, it was sitting on my desk. Someone had brought it to me. When I opened it, I immediately Googled Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. It looks really right up my alley. Yeah. Tom Cruise film, action film, fighting aliens. Oh. I will watch this movie before the next regular episode okay. and report back of what I thought. So before next week. Okay. Yeah. So stay tuned, Sam. Number two, we actually talked about this. And as of a couple of days ago, when we talked about it, we couldn't really come up with anything. So I'm curious if you've come up with any, any insights about the stupidest argument we've ever gotten so into. We have, you know, we've been together for about 15 years yeah. and we've been married for five years. We don't really fight. We like, really don't. Have we fought? Absolutely. Sure. But not usually about stupid things. But no, we have not. We haven't really fought in a really long time. I mean, yeah. we get in little like tiffs and stuff, but we've put a lot of work into our mm-hmm. relationship and a lot of work into ourselves. And I feel like we're very open communicators now. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of things that may have caused arguments when we were younger yeah, will not cause arguments now. Yes. <clears throat> but what I did want to bring up, <laughs> and I will take 
a large chunk of the responsibility for this <laughs> okay, is that you. we did get into an argument literally during the happily ever after this is, fireworks. This is the Disney only one World. I could think of. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. twice. I think it happened twice. The same fireworks show. But on two separate occasions. On two separate occasions. Two separate times we went to Disney Two separate World. trips. <laughs> we got into an argument leading up into the fireworks, which are literally called, at that time, <laughs> the show was called The Happily Ever After Fireworks. The second fight, we were engaged already, I want to say. <laughs> no, I think you were, at that time, you were planning on yeah, asking Yeah, maybe me. that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you that, I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World, Sam. It's super fun. It is very exhausting yeah. and very taxing. Yeah. I love it. If I lived in Orlando, I would be at the parks as much as I possibly could. I'm a huge Disney fan, mm-hmm. a huge theme park fan. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's generally hot. Very crowded. You're so surrounded by people all day long. Mm-hmm. You're not drinking enough water. You're not eating enough. Um, DM me for tips on how to avoid this stuff because I've gotten better at it. Yeah. <laughs> but most of it was due to my grumpiness. Like I will have to say, like I bear the large responsibility I mean, of being grumpy. I'm sure now, I was plenty grumpy myself, but it is really funny looking back to be like, Oh, the happily ever after fireworks. And on two separate occasions. Yeah. We got in like a big fight, I feel like. Yeah. But I don't even remember like what kicked. I think it was just our general state. Yeah. At that point. It was just nitpicky yeah. stuff. And I just like cut off being reasonable, I think, at that point. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, the obnoxious answer to that question is, like you said, we just don't really fight over things. No. And the fights in the most recent past Honestly, fights that we've had have been about fairly significant things. Yeah. And even those have been very few and far between over the last five, six, seven years. But we, we have left any point of like, we don't raise our voices at each other. Mm-mm. We don't yell. We don't no. say hurtful things. We're, no. we're way past that. We're too old for that crap. shit. We're too old for that <laughs> shit. Yeah. But what a funny question. What a funny I question. I will tell you about. this is... My favorite way that a fight ever ended was we were in a fight and we were supposed to watch the Oscars together. Oh, I'm not. And the Oscars were like 10 minutes away from starting. Yeah. And so like you were in the bedroom and I was in the other room, which is now Paris's room. It's our nursery. But at the time it was just like a spare room and it was painted lime green. We used to call it the green room. Yeah. I was in that room and you were in the other room and we've been fighting. We were sort of having like a quiet standoff. Yeah. And I walked into the hallway. Our house is pretty small. It's very. I walked into the hallway right as you walked in the hallway and we kind of met and you said, listen, the Oscars are coming on in like seven minutes. If we keep fighting, then we can't watch the Oscars together and we're going to have nobody else to talk a bunch of crap with to each other. So can we just call a truce so we can watch the Oscars? And then you stuck your hand out for a handshake and then we shook hands and we were like, cool. And we just ended the fight. <laughs> yeah. So Sam, if you find yourself in a relationship or anyone else listening, please know it's always an option to just end the fight. Yeah, you can end the fight, discuss it later Yeah, with you cooler should, heads. You should discuss it later with cooler heads. But like, I have a problem with like letting it go if I'm really mad. Or at least I think I used to. I think I'm a lot better about it now, you know, but like I didn't necessarily know that was an option for most of my life. Yeah. That you can just 
agree to stop fighting until enough time has passed that it makes more sense yeah. to talk about whatever it was you were fighting about. But also know, young Sam, that <laughs> um, it is a normal part of being in a marriage or a relationship yes. to have disagreements. Yes. As long as you maintain respect for the other person. Yes. And respect for yourself. Yeah. And openly communicate. Yeah. And always return back to the center of love. Yes. Oh, that's so nice. No one leaves. No one leaves. No one leaves. That's what we always say. That's from Moana. (laughs) And no No one leaves. Except Moana does leave, but we don't include that part. Never mind. She comes back. She does come back. She always comes back. (laughs) Moana is a masterpiece. Okay. Let's talk about the Silver Trio. Silver Trio in the windows for Christmas. Okay. I feel like I can't get over Christmas. One, because our tree is still up. Yeah. Now, I feel like we should qualify this by saying our tree is not up and decorated. Like, we have undecorated the tree. The only reason the tree is still up is because we need the box out from the attic, and it's hard to get in the attic with the baby because it's the attic is right over her room. Also, it's only a four-foot tall fake tree. Yeah. And so, instead of it looking... Looking like we left our Christmas up. It looks a little bass outdoor pro shop. <laughs> like it should be a little fake fire and like a little bass aquarium over there or something. You it's know? really true, especially considering all the ornaments are gone. Like you're, I had not, I can't unsee that yeah. now. So There's a fun. single pine cone, fake pine cone. There are like 15 pine cones built oh. into the tree. Oh, my new glasses are working great. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the silver trio, Neville, Jenny, and Luna. Now, I feel like I should let you know, because I doubt that you already know this. The Silver Trio is not like, it's a fandom given title right. for them. Yeah. But it's so widely accepted by the fandom that these three are the Silver Trio that it might as well be like official canon. You yeah. know, like it is canon. So my first question to you, just right off the cuff, why do you think these three secondary characters have like their own title like why are they so important to the fandom these three in particular well neville kind of is on his own like he has a special importance because according to the prophecy he could have actually been potter yep he could have been you know the kid the child of prophecy the, the person chosen of prophecy, one the chosen one as we know voldemort chose harry yeah incidentally himself so there's that that's kind of a big one for neville but the biggest reason i think that these three are so important is that they are used to reflect or counter the values of the golden trio. I'm so glad. I just got chills when you said that because I have something about this in my notes that we'll get to. I can't wait to so, talk about this. So whereas, whereas Harry is considered super cool, mm-hmm. but is very self-doubting. Yeah. Neville is not considered very cool. Right. But is Kind of more confident than Harry. Yeah. Or grows to be. I think so, too. So that's super important. Luna is, and even the author has stated that Luna is the counterpart. She's the anti-Hermione. She really is. The author's word, she's the anti-Hermione. Yeah. Whereas Hermione is acting on logic and reason. This is like man of reason, man of man of science, man of faith, right? From Lost, yeah. From Lost. Mm-hmm. Luna's about just having faith. Yes. And just sort of... You know, people would call her sort of hippy-dippy. She's more, like, about feelings and intuition. Yes, she's flexible, whereas Hermione's very rigid. And Jenny, I think, is important because, one, she becomes the love interest of Harry. After being a huge Harry stan her whole life. Yeah. But I think the most important role that she plays for me as the reader 
is that she presents a different side of the Weasley family. She does. She's the only Weasley girl. Mm-hmm. She's also the youngest Weasley too, right? Yeah, she's the youngest one. She's the youngest Weasley. And what we see in her is she's kind of halfway between, not chronologically in birth order, yeah. but personality-wise, she's kind of somewhere between Fred and George and Ron. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really astute. Like she has Ron's seriousness, mm-hmm. but she has Fred and George's kind of off-the-cuffness. Yeah, she's got more of a sense of fun and recklessness than Ron does. You know, I think that Ron can be really, I think he can be quite rigid in his own ways too. I mean, I almost think about Ginny as being like all of the best parts of Ron, super amplified, you know, because Ron's a really good hype man. Ginny is like so fiercely loyal to the people that she loves yeah, and bolsters them to the 10th Nth degree. What's the phrase? Nth degree? Whatever. Do an exponential <laughs> degree. And she, I feel like, has the kind of quick tongue and sharp wit that Ron doesn't really necessarily have. Yeah. But it's all coming from the same value system because they were raised in the same family. You and know? she's the youngest of one, two, three, four, five, of six children. Seven see, children. Bill, Bill Charlie. Bill, Charlie, Percy, Fred, George, Ron. Ron. She's the seventh. Mm -hmm. There are six brothers, six boys that are older than her. (laughs) So she's the baby girl. Yeah. Yeah. And what Jenny demonstrates, actually all three of them, if there's one word that sums up the Silver Trio, it's loyalty. Oh my God. The three of them are so loyal. Yeah. Neville being like, I'll fight him. I'll do it. Yeah. They all joined Dumbledore's army. Yep. Luna has the little things on the ceiling, like pictures of Ron and Hermione, and it says friends. I can't even talk about that. That's super cute. I can't. These three also, they're the only characters, besides the Golden Trio, obviously, who can who you can say this about. They fought alongside the Golden Trio in every single major battle of the series. The Department of Mysteries, the Astronomy Tower, and the Battle of Hogwarts. The only exception might be the Battle of the Seven Potters, which was on the brooms when Mad-Eye Moody dies. And, you know, but the kind of major, let's say all of the non-in-the-air battles, non-aerial battles, the Silver Trio are there for every single one of them. Period. I mean, that's humongous. Like, these are kids. And you have Harry, who's sort of like, yeah, he's going to fight. He's the chosen one. He kind of knows that he kind of has to do this, right? Ron and Hermione, they're his other thirds that make up the whole. Like, they're a given. But these other three could have so easily, and in fact, in the case of the Department of Mysteries, Harry didn't want them to come. Yeah. And they were like, bitch, when are you going to realize we're in this. We're with ride you. or die. We're ride or die, man. I like how you have, with two of the three of the Silver Trio, you have the theme of childhood abandonment. Yeah. Or childhood trauma, mm-hmm. aces, as it were. Yes. Because Neville's parents, Frank and Alice, were tortured with the Cruciatus curse back in like the 80s or something. Yeah. Enough that it put them in St. Mungo's and they're mentally ill. They don't even recognize their own son. Yeah. So Neville was raised by Augusta. Isn't that her name? Yeah. His mm-hmm. grandma from a very young age. So mm-hmm. you've got that going on. Luna 
watched her mom die when she was nine years old. She was a powerful witch. A spell went wrong. Yep. She watched her mom die. That's super, super dramatic. That's why she can see Thestrals. Exactly. And then you have Jenny, who did not watch her parents die and grew up in a big, loving family. But she's the baby. She's the last born. She's kind of like you in a way. She is a little bit. Like you have... Older siblings. You Mm -hmm. have two older brothers, but you have three older siblings. And Mm -hmm. you were kind of like the late, late baby. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, there's something about being the youngest in a a group of kids that's more than like two. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, I think you feel like you sort of have to carve out such a, a singular place for yourself because... Otherwise, I think it's very easy to internalize being like an afterthought of some kind. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's such a good point about aces, because even though Ginny may have not witnessed any traumatic death and she may have grown up in a loving home, she did grow up in a home that had at least some financial insecurity. So there's that, right? And yeah, I mean, I think some people would probably argue that having six older brothers might be traumatic. You know, she grew up with the twins, for God's sake. Like, who knows what they did to her. <laughs> she was a kid. And Luna's family and the Weasleys live in the same place. They do. They're in like mm-hmm. the same neighborhood, suburb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very Borough. Borough, if you will. Let's take a quick break from the episode to talk about ways you can support the show, how to contact us, and let us give a couple of big thank yous. Funding for this show comes entirely from our patrons on Patreon. These wonderful people pay for our hosting fees, social media and promotional subscriptions, equipment upgrades and maintenance, and so much more. If you love this show, becoming a patron is the most direct way to support us. Find out more at patreon.com slash the fox and the foxhound. We also understand that money is tight. So if you're looking for a free way to support us, rating and reviewing the fox and the foxhound on Apple podcasts is such a huge help. Not only does it give us the warm and fuzzies, it also promotes the show within Apple Podcasts and helps us reach new potential Foxies. Even if you listen elsewhere, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to reach us, the best way is by joining our Discord server, the FFH Mischief Center. There is a link to join on the homepage of our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com. While you're there, consider sending us a message or a voicemail both are easy to find on the site or email us at thefoxandthefoxhound at gmail.com. Following us on social media ensures you won't miss any announcements about future meetups, episode delays, and more. We're on Twitter at Fox and Foxhound, no thes, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Fox and the Foxhound. You can also find our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. Finally, we'd like to thank a few very special people. Hannah Gibb, who manages our Discord server and is also a Marauder-level patron. Josh Bailey, our co-producer and manager of Mischief, who is also a Marauder-level patron. Judson Hurd, who composed the original music for our show. And all of our Patreon members. We wouldn't be able to do any of this without all of you. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So speaking of Neville and Harry, you know, Neville was born literally hours before Harry. He was born on the 30th. Harry was born on the 31st. The author has said that their births were within hours of each other. As you mentioned, could have been in Harry's shoes. The prophecy could have meant either of them. Voldemort deciding it meant Harry. 
made the prophecy about Harry. Um, And they have so much in common, not only the parents, but they both did in somewhat different ways grow up being told that they were less than in some way. You know, Harry with the Dursleys, but Neville grew up, his whole family were like, oh, this kid's a squib. He's never going to be as good as his dad. You know, like he was not raised in a loving home. Like I've kind of regularly maintained that Augusta Longbottom is kind of fucking worst in the series. You know, she's so mean to him and she's really only expresses love towards him when he is like willing to die in the battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. Then she's proud of him. It's like, come on lady. Yikes. But Neville has such an important role at the end of the series because ultimately he saves Harry and the actual fucking world by killing the final and arguably most difficult Horcrux, which Nagini. is Nagini. Yeah. Like if Neville hadn't been there, if Neville hadn't been of the caliber person that he was, the whole series would have ended. I mean, just like Cursed Child, that one timeline where Harry died in the Battle of Hogwarts, you know, and like that would have been the the reality. So Neville really saved the world yeah. if you think about it. He really did. And he kept the DA going, all three of them to a certain extent, but Neville definitely kept the DA going while the Golden Trio were camping, for lack of a better word. So Neville's in biography, he did go on after the original series to become the herbology professor at Hogwarts. Right. He and the, loved that oh class and Mrs. Sprout and stuff. He did. And the head of Gryffindor House. And I like his connection with herbology because I feel like it speaks to a headcanon that a lot of people have in the fandom is that Neville is really, he belongs in Gryffindor, but he really is kind of a Hufflepuff at heart. <laughs> he himself kind of thinks like, hmm. Yeah. Why am I a Gryffindor? But he is Gryffindor. Oh, he's totally Gryffindor. And the sort of Gryffindor appears for him. Yes, exactly. Which only appears for a worthy Gryffindor right. in their moment of need. Ginny, as we mentioned, she's August 11th. 1981. So she's over a full year younger than both Neville and Harry. And only three years younger than me. There you go. Yes, there you go. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Youngest of the Weasleys. What I think we can easily forget about Ginny is that she survived being literally possessed by Voldemort in her first year of Hogwarts. She was 11 years old. Like you think about Harry in his first year of Hogwarts. I mean, yeah, he got the Philosopher's Stone and shit. Like, okay, he did the thing. But he also was like kind of a dummy. <laughs> you know, he was an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. Whereas Ginny like gets possessed by the most evil wizard in the world and survives it. And also like kind of emerges from that experience more of a badass. Ginny is like Sam, like yeah. wise beyond her years. Yes, I think so too. She's sassy. She's super confident. She's really unshakable. When I was writing those three adjectives about her, I was really struck by how much she kind of reminds me of McGonagall in a lot of ways. Yeah, young McGonagall. Yeah. I feel like young McGonagall probably was a lot like Ginny Weasley. Yeah. Ginny went on to be a professional Quidditch player. And then after that, wrote for the, uh, what do you call it, Daily Prophet as like the sports editor you know, the sports, sports lady. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Luna, February 13th, 1981, so kind of splitting the middle in ages. 
I love that Luna is fearless to be herself totally and completely and without any kind of, oh, they're going to think I'm weird. She doesn't care. She also is not trying to be weird. It's not like Luna's punk rock. Right. She's not like, I'm bucking the system by wearing a lion hat Mm -hmm. or having weird color hair. She just is so genuine. She's just who she is. She's also not oblivious to how her actions may be perceived by others either. She's not walking around doing weird shit, just not understanding that people think it's weird. She just doesn't care. Yeah, and she's so pure of heart. She's so She's seen the best in people. Yes, definitely. She went on to become a magizoologist and married Newt Scamander's grandson. Get out of here. And had twins. I wonder if her dad put that in that rag that he publishes. I mean, we could have a whole episode about Xenophilius Lovegood. Yeah, he's a little problematic. (laughs) I mean, is he problematic though? Like, so Luna's kidnapped in her seventh year because of what he's publishing. But like, he, it was really bold of him to publish the things he was publishing. Yeah. He faced a huge consequence for it. Yeah. Wasn't he printing the signs too? Wasn't he printing some wanted signs? He, once Luna was kidnapped, he was, yeah, because he was so desperate to get his daughter back, but she was kidnapped because the stuff he was publishing up until then was very, you know, anti-Death Eater. Like it was politically dissonant or antagonistic to the Death Eaters. And so they kidnapped his daughter. And I didn't realize this till I was reading a little bit more biography about these three, but she, Luna, was held in Malfoy Manor for months with Dobby and, well, not with Dobby, I guess, but with, uh, what's his face? Ollivander. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Griphook. That's who I'm thinking. Not Dobby. Griphook. Oh, yeah. Griphook. And Ollivander. Yeah. They were in there for months. Grip hook's Captive. the worst. Grip, grip, grip hook. I know. He kind of is the fucking worst. What about the shipping of Luna and Neville? <laughs> a lot of people ship Luna and Neville. It's a really popular ship in the yeah. fandom. There is absolutely nothing alluded to in the books. The movie... The movie's a little bit allude to it. The movie definitely alludes to it. I mean, like you and I have discussed before, we hate that every platonic male-female relationship has to turn into romance. It's yeah. kind of a little bit of a worn-out thing. It's just so lazy. But they probably would make a good couple. I do. Because yeah. Neville, they're both really brave, but they're both not very judgmental. That's very and true. And so I think that they would both be very accepting of each other. I think you're right. And as much as it pains me to say it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of ship those two as well. Even though... I'm I'm with you. Like I can we stop shipping everybody? Can we just let right. people yeah. coexist in the same space without wanting to fuck each other? But anyway, the pairing that I like a lot more in terms of a relationship friendship is Ginny and Luna. I think those two yeah. are like soulmate level they friends. They could be so besties. Oh my god. And they are really tight from pretty early on in the series. Neville is kind of brought into the fold after the Department of Mysteries when they all have this you know, life-changing experience together, that'll bond you for life. But yeah, I love their friendship and they're just such polar opposites of each other. It's great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of secondary characters in general in a series, any series. So I looked on the internet about 
you know, how to write a well-written secondary character and like, why are they important to a story? And a lot of it is things you would expect. They add depth. It's far more interesting to have more than just your protagonist. But per the internet, here are some some things that well-written secondary characters, this would be true about them. So they will help advance the plot. I think we can definitely surmise that these three help advance the plot. They'll be multidimensional. My mind really goes to the focus of Ginny's relationships, like with Dean and her dynamics with Ron being kind of like weird about her being with Dean, you know, like she's definitely a multidimensional person. She's not just Harry's love interest. Yeah. You know, the best secondary characters will be flawed. That's like the best characters in general will be flawed. They won't be too much of a good thing. Right. Which I think is, you could have really, as an author, gone very overboard with Luna, especially, and her kookiness. And she could have just taken up too much space with, and people would have gotten bored with it. And you wouldn't have any room for the readers to fill in the blanks of who they want the character to be. Exactly. Um, secondary characters that are well-written will have their own subplots. So love that. I would say that Ron and Hermione have more of their own subplots, of course, than any three of the Silver Trio, but there's still some some subplot stuff there. And they may become more popular than the protagonist. We've said it many times on the show that like nobody's favorite character in Harry Potter is Harry Potter. <laughs> like, right. And I think a lot of that is because this author does write secondary characters really well. Yeah. Like really well. And to the almost to the detriment of her protagonist. So the last thing I found, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's five kind of like main types of secondary characters that usually they fall into. So you have mentor, which honestly I would put Neville in the role of possibly mentor, you know? I think he possesses, like you said, a lot of the traits that Harry doesn't have. You know, of course, Dumbledore is the obvious mentor. Lupin. Lupin, of course. I mean, there are some way more obvious mentors, but of the Silver Trio, I would put Neville in there. Adversary. None of those three are adversaries, of course. Comic Relief. Luna. Honestly, Ginny and Neville have their moments of this. Love Interest, obviously, Ginny. And Best Friend is the other kind of subcategory. Obviously, Ron is kind of the the obvious best friend, but, you know, I don't know. One thing that I think all three of them have in common, Mm -hmm. that they were all beautifully portrayed by wonderful actors in the films. Yes, I do. I will say, I think Bonnie Wright is great as Ginny. I think she wasn't given enough to do. Oh, yeah. She definitely got robbed. She got robbed. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't her portrayal. I feel like... The the people who adapted the movie really, really missed the spirit of Ginny. Ivana Lynch, get out of here. Come on. She nails She's it. She's perfect. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Matthew Lewis because um, yeah. he's, st- I mean, all of these actors that started as kids and ended this film when they were almost legally adults or this series yeah. of eight films. Yeah. He really got to see his character grow. Oh, my God. And to a little sheepish boy, the way he played him, 
And the way they like made him look more dorky than he actually looked. Yeah. And then let him get older and get handsome. Like mm-hmm. he played that arc so well. So and like I cannot beautiful. say enough good things about how well all three of these these actors did. It's really I the only thing I would change would be how how Ginny is written in the series. But yeah, I mean I think they really brought these three characters to life. And, and all three of them seem to have been really good to the fans. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's super important to me. Oh, my God. And you know, I think I, I want to say we mentioned this on the show, but after my mom passed away, a group of wonderful people all chipped in and got me a cameo from Bonnie Wright. That's right. I video forgot about that. That I still have yeah. saved. And it was really beautiful and really like brought me a little bit of joy in a time that I was feeling no joy at all. And who do I always say Bonnie Wright looks like? <laughs> Heather Bevels. Our marauder and <laughs> yeah. good friend Heather Bevels. Yeah. They're definitely the same font, those two, for yeah. sure. But yeah, so she'll always be very close to my heart for that reason. Um, but I think of Matthew Lewis, especially when he comes out of the portrait hole in Aberforth's place and he's wearing that like sweater that looks just like the sweater that his dad is wearing in the portrait of order of the Phoenix yeah. little Easter egg kind of thing. And he's all bloody and he's, I mean, he looks rough, right? But he's so confident. Like he just like kind of saunters and it's, it's just the perfect, like Neville has absolutely taken the, the helm in Harry's absence and is like a fish in water. Yeah, he doesn't need the glory. He doesn't need it. Mm -mm. Oh, he's great. What a great character, too. Anything else about the Silver Trio? Who's your favorite of the three? Oh, God. How dare you? Um, Oh, no. This is really hard. Who do you identify with the most of the three? I would say I probably identify the most with Ginny just being a youngest child in a larger family. Yeah. And also just... I think everybody wants to identify with Ginny. You know, I think that Ginny is like the best parts of all of us feminists. You know what I mean? Like we all want to be a little more Ginny. But I think that as as I'm getting older, I find myself really yearning to be a bit more like Luna and to care so much less about what anybody thinks about me as long as I'm being my authentic true self. Yeah. So I would say Luna is sort of my ideal, but of those three, my favorite character, I'm sorry, I've got such a special spot for Neville in this series. I just think Neville Neville is, I'm such a Neville stan. Who's your favorite of the three? I mean, Luna reminds me a lot of like my teenage self sort of marching to the beat of her own drum. Mm -hmm. Identify a lot with Neville because I feel like when he was younger, at least, like someone who had a lot of potential, but sort of tripped over his own dorkiness. <laughs> yes. Or maybe that's me now. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's, it's fine. It's time for Gifts of the Pensive. Gifts of the pensive are these gifts that you unwrap, and when you look inside the shadows of your mind, you'll discover the darkness and the depths of your childhood, and your insanity will start to whine. Okay. 
Wow. All right. Um, you go ahead and go first with Gift of the Pensieve, buddy. So I've been thinking a lot about coupons <laughs> and how much money you can save if you really start to clip coupons. What is wrong with you? put them in a scrapbook. In a scrapbook? <laughs> what is that accent? So I've been watching this black hole documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Called, I want to say it's called The Edge of What We Know. Oh, okay. And it's about this Event Horizon Telescope project that's back from like five or so years, maybe started about five or so years ago. Yeah. And this is like black holes, which is a gigantic mass in space that Mm -hmm. the mass is so great that gravity brings everything to it and it sucks things into it. Okay. And as far as we know, those things are never seen again and it provides no information. And Stephen Hawking has written about it for decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. The event horizon is the point of no return. When something passes the event horizon, it's sucked into the black hole. Black hole is a theoretical idea. Okay. But there's never been any images captured of it. So the Event Horizon Telescope Project was these like eight gigantic multi-million dollar telescopes placed in high peaks around the world. There's one in Hawaii, one I want to say in Chile, there's one in the South Pole. And the goal is to aim all of these telescopes at the same area of space known as like M87 or something where there's suspected to be a black hole Mm -hmm. to see if we can get any sort of photo, like actual imagery of a black hole. Yeah. Which is super cool. So as someone who did not do great in physics, I still am very interested in quantum physics. As long as someone can present it to me in an armchair kind of way. Yeah. So... Anyway, just the mystery of like, first of all, this like E87, whatever the hell it's called, this area where this black hole is, it's 58 and a half million light years from Earth. Yeah. that Literally, you catch images of this thing, it's coming from the past, right? Way, 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 way long time ago. It's time travel pictures almost. Oh my God. So you really need a telescope about the size of the Earth. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) So they put eight telescopes on one side side of the earth, yeah. so to speak, almost like if you cut a basketball in half and took one side of it, it looked like a contact lens, you know, yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. dome. And they triangulate all of them. They all record data at the same time and they put it all together to see if they can get images of a black hole. Yeah. So it's about mysteries of the universe. And I like exploring that side of my mind sometimes. I've been really interested in it. Yeah. So that's been kind of running through my mind, black holes and stuff like that. You know, I love to talk about theology and everything. And I was at the park with Paris today, this morning, like 830 this morning, a little park in our neighborhood. And she was digging in the dirt with a stick and counting leaves and acorns and stuff. And I was having, you know, my general running existential thoughts. (laughs) Which are just like, what is all of this? Why are we here? This oh my God. started when I was like eight and it yeah. just never turns off. Yeah. And I was just like, God, all of this, you know, some of this soil that she's moving with her stick is probably millions of years old, at least like parts of it, you know, broken down. And I'm thinking of the sun shining on us and how old the sun is and how long it took that light oh to God. get here. Sort of all these things are sort of running in a script in the back of my mind. Good gracious. And I thought, man, like 
whatever is reality, whatever is the driving force of there being reality, yeah, it existed so long before us. Yeah. And it will exist so long after us. And it exists in spite of us. Yeah. In spite of our births and our deaths and our bills and our theology and all of our stuff, it doesn't matter. It just yeah. rolls on the black holes and the universe and however it all works. And we're trying to pick it all apart and yeah. try to reason with it. And then I thought, but it may also exist because of us. Yeah. It could exist. For us, yeah, and I know that's a huge, a, a triggering thing for people. Oh, the universe doesn't revolve around humans, and that's Christian theology and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a chance that it is, right? That it's all for us. That it's one right. big show that's all for us. So anyway, you know how long winded I am. <laughs> and then I was talking to my good friend Hank today when we were driving back from disc golfing, and he was asking me about my history with religion. Did you grow up in the church? And like, what did you believe? And when did that change? And so my gift of the pensive is to embrace the mystery of life Yeah, and be curious. And this is a good message for young listeners like Sam to, there's a lot of things that you were never, ever, ever going to know. Yeah, You're never going to know for a fact if there's anything after we die, yeah. or if you had an existence or a consciousness before you were here, you'll never right. know for an absolute fact if there's a God or if there isn't. Yeah. But there's something so rewarding and fulfilling in life about embracing the mystery of life. Yeah. Be curious. Think about it. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. You are ultimately made of stardust. Yeah. And that's a pretty beautiful thing. Oh, that's so nice. So how do you relate that back to the series? Who do you think really embodies that curiosity? I think Luna is a totally. very much embrace the mystery. Definitely. The curiosity, even the way she approaches the Thestrals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything is just like, oh, cool. That's neat. Yeah. What a neat thing. Yeah. And I see that in Paris. I see the way that she looks at the world and she she's at the age where she takes the world at face value yeah. without questioning it. But she also has such little facts about it. Yeah. Like we took her to the beach and she's like, at beach, mm-hmm. ocean. Mm-hmm. She doesn't go, what are the depths of the ocean? Are there creatures in there that we've never explored? How does gravity keep the water here? What is the bloop? Climate change. Glaciers are melting. No, she doesn't say that. She says, earth. Earth. She says, blast off to space. Go to planets. Earth. Yep. She knows Earth. She knows Mars sometimes. Venus sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Very beautiful. I think that's nice. I like that a lot. My gift of the pensive, I've been thinking about the the feeling of the end of most of the books, like especially the early books. You know how in the Harry Potter series, the books are like their own self-contained stories for the most part, at least if you look at like the first three to four books, definitely the first three. And at the end, there's like a the the evil of that book has been vanquished and there's like a yeah, Harry doesn't want to go back to the Dursleys, but there's like a calm and a settling kind of feeling at the end of the books. And I've been thinking about that because I've just been feeling like very peaceful lately. It's the only word I can think to describe it. Have I been happy every moment lately? No, but I've been 
peaceful. So I think that my gift of the pensive is like, pay attention to when you feel peaceful. Because like you were saying, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, when you were talking about the paths to peace and how peace and happiness are not always the same thing. Yeah. I think that I'm kind of having a time that I'm reflecting a lot on that and just enjoying the peace. <laughs> it's the Pax Amanda. It's Pax Amanda. It's it's the Yeah, the we were also talking George. today about how much you've gone through in the past five years. Yeah. And you know, you've heard me say this ad nauseum, but the most uneventful days of your life are the best days definitely, of your life. Definitely. If there's a day where you don't get a call that a loved one is sick or has passed away. Yeah. Just, I mean, this is most of our days. Yeah. You just get up in the morning, you do your thing, and then you go to work and you come home and you eat dinner. And, da, 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 and that's just kind of a plane. And we sort of forget about these days. They all run together. Yeah. But those are the best days. Those are the best days. And the days that are not like that, you are wishing so fervently. That it was just a normal, just average, a normal day. boring day. Exactly. Yeah. So notice the peace when you're feeling it and freaking enjoy it. Just enjoy it. You deserve it. All of yeah. you deserve it to feel peaceful. I know I deserve it and you deserve it. And we all fucking And it, it is homeostasis for you as a living being on this planet yeah. to not be in turmoil and stress and conflict. And I feel like I have not felt peaceful in any kind of real way, in any kind of real sustained way in a long time. You want me to combine both of our gifts of the pensive? Sure. I think part of the peace that has come to you is you're starting to embrace the mystery and be curious. I am positive that that is why I'm feeling peaceful. Yeah. Boom. See but, that matchup? You like that. how I did that? We're also, we make a, you know, we make a pretty good couple, you and yeah, me. I like it. I like it too. It's time for Patronus Moments. Patronus Moments are moments in your life where a ghost deer tries to kill your family. No, no, I don't no, know why no. I always go into this heavy metal thing. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, I will kick things off. It's like you. I'm looking at you and you sort of have a half smile like, oh, where's this song going? And then when I make that turn and I see the disappointment on your face, it's like, <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> All right. So my Patronus Moment is last night when... We were trying to wrangle Paris into the bath, which lately has been a little bit more challenging <laughs> than normal. We give her some time to be naked and run about the house in her birthday suit. It's called Nakey Wakey Time. It's called Nakey Wakey Time. And the song time. goes, Nakey, Nakey, Wakey, Nakey, 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 Wakey. Yeah, exactly. So um, last night she was really involved with placing a toy dinosaur on her Christmas radio. This sounds made up, but it's not. And going, kick it, and then kicking it off. Like the Beastie Boys, kick it. And so I was like, I need to get creative with getting her to the bathtub. So I said, let's stomp like dinosaurs to the bathtub. And that was my Patronus moment because she looked so ridiculous. She was completely naked and she was very into the game. Stomp, 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 stomp. But she doesn't know how to like stomp like a normal person. She kind of like swings her whole leg over and stomps. Like she keeps her legs straight. Very dramatic. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. It just, it struck me as really funny. So cute. And I, I was laughing a lot. And also it was sort of one of those things that was like, yeah, sometimes you have these like 
moments where you're like, let me get creative with this to avoid the meltdown. And you feel so good when it works. Yeah. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. What is your Padronas moment? So my Padronas moment is our little beach outing that we went on. We went on a little family adventure. We went and ate French fries. And then, because we're parents of the year, yep. we went and ate french fries and then went to the beach. We live very close to the beach. Like, yeah. we're 12 miles from right the beach. Right near the beach. And it may not surprise many of you that when you live near the beach, you take it for granted. Yeah, you, like, never go. That it's right there. That you can go watch on the East Coast. You can watch the sunrise on the beach whenever you want. Yep. We live near Absolutely beautiful beaches. Don't move here. Don't move. We're full. Don't move here. Unless you... We are full. The border is closed. It's true, but unless you listen to our show, in which case we really want to know you. So yeah, move here. So yeah, move here. <laughs> um, But don't. <laughs> but we went to a street at the beach called Mallard Street, which is always where me and my buddies, when we were teenagers, that's always where we went to the beach to go bodyboarding and hang yeah. out. Why? I don't know. Why not? There were always a lot of available parking spaces on that street for some reason. Yeah. And so we went to, the, so that's always where I go. In my whole life, since I was a teenager, for 30 years, that's where we go. Yeah. And if it's at nighttime, that's where we go. And if I'm taking someone to the beach for the first time, that particular beach, we always go to that street. I mean, street. it's a great beach access. So we went on that beach access road. And it got a little chillier than we thought it was going to be. So we didn't stay for very long, maybe like less than half an hour. But just standing out at the beach and thinking like, wow, it was just yesterday that me and my friends were have stood on this beach hundreds of times and thought about would we ever get married and would we have kids and what our lives would look like. And now almost 30 years later... Here I am with my wife and my kid, and like yep. it was one of those man, it all worked out moments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, how sweet! That's a sweet one. And there were people out there surfing and swimming. Yeah, and oh man, I'm no, so averse you. to feeling cold. Yeah, that I, know. I just cannot. I know. So, what did you have in mind for our marauders this week? So, I've decided to give them all new career paths. Oh dear. Okay. I'm giving them all new jobs. All right. All right. Um, You'll be sent your onboarding packet (laughs) in the mail. You might be required to move. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. That's what you get for listening to this podcast. Them's the breaks. So (laughs) how did you get into um, quantum mechanics anyway? Well, I was actually a mailman, but there's this Harry Potter podcast and, you know, I was a patron member and they told me I had to do this. So I just did it. Yeah. That's what you get for financially supporting our show. We're going to start out with Teddy Cummings. Mm-hmm. Teddy Cummings, you are going to make your own YouTube show for toddlers. Oh, my God. Listen. Vis-a-vis, or, or not vis-a-vis, but like... A la. A la Miss Rachel, mm-hmm. The Wiggles. Yeah. Sarah Sunshine. Yeah, we know them Miss all. Miss Lily. We know them all. Yeah. Moose Clumps. Moose Clumps. The favorite in our house. Clump. Clump. Now I'm going to give some of them really strange jobs. Oh, if I, feel well, like I mean, it. the first one was pretty strange. Yeah, I never, ever, ever have pre-written down anything for a Marauder shout out. I want yeah. you all to know. So I kind of come up with these on the fly. That's why they're great. And sometimes it takes me a second to think of it. Amanda edits out that pause. Yep. So it sounds like I'm really, really. Unless you're listening to the unedited episode in which I also still run a process that trims out a lot of the pauses first, but yeah. Larissa Oatman, you now own an antique shop. Congratulations. You're an antiques dealer. Don't know what you think about that. Doesn't really matter. Hope your twins don't break a bunch of stuff. Maeve Richards, 
you are going to be the general manager of one of these sip and paint places. What is a sip it? Oh, like a drink wine and paint yeah. stuff. Oh, those are fun. Cody Jurish, you are going to be the executive director of a huge horror con. Oh my God. Oh, I feel like that would be a dream job. You're going to approve all the staff. You're going to hire the staff. You're going to book the guest. Oh my God. You know, you're mm. going to give Tim and Brian a deal on setting up the civil gore table. Naturally. You know, Samantha Tillman is going to be the principal of an all girls school. Love it. That it's all about empowerment. Yep. And the arts. Love it. Lindsay Prestage is going to own an old classic magic shop. You ever been into a magic shop? Um, I feel like, didn't we go to one at Broadway at the beach? Yeah, probably did. They sell like, you know, joy buzzers and the finger choppers, but you can also get like the invisible string. And didn't you can the get one we go into have a lot of weird MAGA, like alt-right stuff? Yeah, I feel it like was it a was weird a little vibe. strange. Yeah, yeah, it was a weird vibe, but that's not going to be Lindsay's. not going to be Lindsay's. No, no Lindsay's exactly. is going to be really cool. Yeah. Melissa Hunter, you are going to be the general manager of a Great Wolf Lodge. Oh, you know what that is? yeah. It's I'm a hotel familiar. with an indoor water park for families. Yes. Why? Yes. I don't know. I'm just people thinking love of it. things. People love know? the Great Wolf Lodge. And some of these people, I'm giving them their own businesses. Some right. of them, I'm making them general managers. Yeah. I'm giving them pretty, you know, higher positions. This of is course. the freaking top brass we're talking about exactly. here. Exactly. These not are gonna, marauders. You're not pulling the short stick, you guys. Right. Nick Tillman is going to be a ayahuasca guide. Oh. Yeah, he's going to guide people through <laughs> ayahuasca trips. <laughs> Ayahuasca? Ayahuasca, I think is how you say it. I mean, sure. I think we all know what you mean. Natalia Ward is going to be a fashion designer. Naturally. Very, very famous. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Have you seen Ward's full collections to die for? Very successful. I would wear all of it. Yes. Kelly Moore is going to be on the creative team for Lucasfilms. Oh. Yeah. So she's going nice. to determine if Mandalorian's going to have another season and what direction things are going in. Okay. Congratulations, Kelly. It's a very it's a big deal. Very big deal. By the way, all of these are very high paying positions. Yes. All of my, them. In my head canon. Yes. Amber Biggs, I'm giving you your own business. You are going to own one of these trampoline places for kids. Oh, my God. Okay. I really want to go to one of these trampoline places. Oh, they feel stressful like, to on me. on like an adult night or something. Yeah. There's a few reasons that I don't want to. Mm -hmm. One, I'm 45. I'm not the most athletic person in the world. And I feel like I wouldn't be able to walk the next day from my legs. Right. Two, I go too hard with shit and I'm probably going to end up getting hurt. Yep. Three, I'm afraid that the entire place is going to smell like feet or sweat. And I cannot, <laughs> I cannot and will not. But not Amber's place. It will smell great in oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she's got a partnership with Febreze. Oh, oh, all right. Brianne Brown, you will be elected the mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> now, I know you are the de facto honorary mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, my God. You're going to be the actual okay. mayor of beautiful Cleveland, beautiful, Ohio. beautiful, sunny, <laughs> tropical Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> wherever it is. <laughs> is it real Cleveland? Ohio? Yes, it's an yes. actual place. Yes. I've been there, hon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, have, I have no choice but to believe you. Yeah. Mallory Gallagher, you're a farmer. Oh, big old organic, like vegetable farm. That sounds nice. What if Mallory might be like, Ugh, 
I know. Girl. I mean, Some that's of these how we're going to be like, ugh. that's how I would be. Like yeah, you told me I'm I a farmer. I'd be like, ugh. but I appreciate farmers. I just don't want to be one. That ain't me. Josh Bailey is going to head up the Department of Education for the United States of America. Jesus. He would do a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's I a mean, big deal. Hands down. Great job. Dean Heath is going to be the defensive coach for the Carolina Panthers. Nice. Nice. Heather Bevels is going to hit the lecture circuit. Ooh. She's going to travel the globe giving lectures about Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright's work. Oh, beautiful. She's an architect. She'd be great. She'd be great. Pete Collins, mm-hmm. you just became the personal assistant to Mr. Phil Collins. Oh, my God. Hope he treats you right. Pete Collins, by the way, by the time this launches unedited, it will technically be your birthday, England time. Oh, my God. And by the birthday. time it launches to the public... It will have been your birthday yesterday. So happy birthday. Wow. Feliz cumpleaños. Yes. Michael Terry. Oh, I have something to say about Michael Terry. Mm-hmm. So Michael Terry's in London right now. As yeah. of the time of this recording, him yeah. and Mandy are in London. Lucky ducks. They're such European files. I love Euro it. Euro files is what they're called. I love it. Anglo files. I had a Michael Terry moment today. Did you? I was at the disc golf course. Yeah. And was on like hole four. Which is the basket is sort of facing when you're looking at the basket, you're looking at hole one because the course is circled back on itself. Mm-hmm. And I saw a guy that had Michael Terry's same hair, facial hair, and build. And it gave me that little twinge of like, haha, well, it's Michael Terry. Oh my And God. then I got this warm Michael Terry feeling. Oh, a like, warm man. Michael Terry feeling. Like, I wonder if anyone's ever saw someone that looked like me and yeah. then got a warm feeling. Oh, my God. Because I got a warm feeling. I got a, oh, Michael Terry exists in the world. Oh, my God. I got that kind of feeling. That's so nice. I want to meet all of these people in person. Some of them we have, but most yeah. of them we have not. We and have I not. wish, I really wish that wasn't true. Because we keep getting these restraining orders from them. <laughs> but they still support us on Patreon, which is so right. weird. Really mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah Gibb is going to be like, you know, the movie City Slickers? Where sort somebody of. like takes people out on this like ranch journey where you ride horses out in the West. That's what Hannah Gibbs is going to do. She's going to lead horse-drawn adventure tours out West. That sounds amazing. I know. I hope she's up for it. I'm sure she will be. Stephen McCabe is going to become a very avant-garde performance artist. Oh. Like he goes into Times Square and drops a bucket of nails on his head I and then recites it. a Shakespearean sonnet love backwards it. In Spanish. That's phenomenal. And then screams, we're all melting. You're melting. I'm melting. But we are melting into love. And then he vanishes into thin air. That's amazing. He's kind of like David Blaine meets Chris Angel. Yeah. Meets Banksy. That's amazing. And our extra special shout out, our old buddy Toya Smith. Love me Toya Smith is the new CEO Mm. of the revived Toys R Us. (gasps) Oh. Toya, congratulations. Toys R Us is coming back. Is it? It's coming back in sort of like a small, a small way. Like small boutique type Toys R Us. Oh my God. Oh, Toya would run the shit out of that. And it's going to be called Toya R Us. Naturally. Yes. But are you for real about Toys R Us coming back? Yeah. You have to read the article. That's exciting. I can't remember what it said, but I think it's going to come back in some... You were never going to have a big Toys R Us box store anymore. Yeah. They were killed by Target and Walmart. That's yeah. all there is to yeah. it. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. Good well, luck. 
As always, we miss thank you, you, Jeffrey. We, yeah, we thank you to all of our marauders, all of our patrons, and all of you listening. So yeah, going back to the roots of the series next week, book one, chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. I'm excited to revisit that chapter. It's been a while. It's been a hot minute since I read that chapter. Any any parting words for our listeners this week? Well, we're talking about silver and gold. Mm-hmm. The new Bob Marley movie's coming out, oh, One Love, on I, Valentine's Day. I cannot wait. So what I'd like to say is don't gain the world and lose your soul. Wisdom is better than silver or gold. 